Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Now we're taking a shot up in the tailgate yep. lot yep. with a stadium view. Woo! What a great spot. Damn it, I've been waiting all week. Counting down the days till I'm back in my seat. Till I'm back in my seat. We are back on the boulevard. It is Monday, May 15th. As always, here to prove to you, there is no such thing as football season. We are presented by the Believe Network. And yes, you read the graphic correctly. If you are on podcast, tonight is our 2023 season finale of Spring Ball Boulevard. So, before it's all doom and gloom, and all the negativity that happened for the D.C. Defenders this weekend. We're going to go through some positives with the producer, director, and owner of the humble abode we call Studio Z, Chris Zook, who got to cover his first ever XFL game and just have a great experience down there in San Antonio. Zook, reactions from the XFL Championship. How was the trip and how was the game? Trip was awesome. San Antonio was great. Game was great. I know you don't agree. Um, but you poured it on when my Eagles lost the Super Bowl. So I guess I deserve this, huh? Didn't think of that. I'll let you go. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Me neither. I'm almost at a loss of words. It's almost a miracle that we're on the air. Just that close. And I'm a Penn State alum. I'm a Packers fan. So I know this feeling. I sat around for four NFC Championship game losses for Aaron Rodgers. I sat around for Penn State. One-point losses to Ohio State time and time again. That kept them out of the college football playoffs. And now, the 10-1 and undisputed best team in the league up to this point, the D.C. Defenders, a full touchdown favorite, go in and lose by nine points to the Arlington Renegades. So before we get into some of my gripes about this game and how things went down, we did just get back from San Antonio, so bear with us. The trip was amazing. Not the result I wanted for the game, but thank you to the XFL for the wonderful opportunity to cover uh, the 3.0 version of the first ever championship game. I know we had the million dollar game back in 2001. Uh, XFL 2020 did not get to the championship game. And when we had a chance to interview Danny Garcia and Dwayne, the rock Johnson pregame, I was able to ask the rock for all the doubters and all the naysayers who said you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't finish year one. What do you have to say? And if you want the answer, follow me on Matty Fresh TV on Twitter. You can go check it out. He gave a pretty good answer to my question. And I want to thank the league for setting that up, for welcoming us to San Antonio. And uh, that's probably all the positive. Well, we'll give some more positives. Before we go into this one, I do want to say congratulations to the guys who were signing NFL contracts, led by Ben DiNucci with the Broncos. We saw a couple of guys, six of them in total, get that NFL deal where not just invitations to minicamp, but actual pen to paper. 
congratulations to Nucci with the Broncos. His offensive tackle, Barry Wesley, signing a deal with the Atlanta Falcons or the Red Stallions, as some have called them. <laughs> uh, Bryce Thompson, corner for Seattle, signed by the Miami Dolphins. So a trio of Sea Dragons. Sure, Zook is happy about that. Running back Jaquez Patrick from San Antonio. We saw him do a lot of great things in the XFL this year. Signs with the Broncos as well. So he'll uh, unite with Danucci there. For the Battle Hawks, safety Lucas Dennis was back there in that defensive backfield that at times was the number one defensive backfield in the XFL. He signs with the Atlanta Falcons. So the Falcons picking up a couple of guys as well as Denver. And Houston had defensive tackle C.J. Brewer sign with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So great to see. We love that. This is supposed to be a league of opportunity. That's probably been said a million times over the weekend, but great to see that. And a lot of other guys that are trudging through minicamp, a lot of guys from D.C. and Arlington who will get invited to rookie minicamps coming up here soon. Wanted to touch on that. Um, but wow. My reactions from this game. Buckle up. Um, go ahead and roll the highlights, Zook. We'll get him out of the way. Um, from the opening play of this game, Luis Perez set the tone. He was going to be sacked, as DC has sacked so many quarterbacks this season. Davin Bellamy got there on a rush. He kind of slipped off Perez, couldn't bring him down. And Perez dumped it over the middle for a seven-yard gain. I thought nothing of it at the time. But it turns out, that's the night that it ended up being for the D.C. defenders. They couldn't bring down Perez. They couldn't stop him. Nothing they did was effective against them. And that one play, where you start with a sack and a loss of four, with a man draped on him, a very big man in Davin Bellamy, he dumps it over the middle for a seven-yard gain, a positive play. That's the kind of night it was. On that same first drive, Big Joe Wallace, another very massive human being, landed on Perez, and we saw him get up, and he was limping. He was hobbling, peeling himself off that Alamo Dome turf. Didn't matter. He got right back up. He ran tempo, and that's why he was MVP of this game. And some quarterbacks say that's the fire they need sometimes to get them going, get the juices flowing, get the adrenaline pumping. They need to take a hit. And when I saw Perez get up, I was not only surprised, but terrified of what he was about to do to the D.C. defenders. Mike Joseph, one of the likely candidates for the NFL on D.C.'s defense, was out with a groin injury that's been bothering him for the last couple of weeks now. And you knew Arlington was going to pick on the other side of the field opposite Dewan Neal. Anthula Kelly was starting on that side of the field. And he got busted up too on one of the first, I think, two drives of the game. And they brought KJ Sales in as a third option. So Perez just picked on that side of the field really all night. He knew about the mismatch that he would have with his receivers. They lined Tyler Vaughn's up there. He showed out. Vaughn's had eight catches for 83 yards and a touchdown. And DC could simply not get off the field on third down. 
Arlington's first touchdown, which we just showed you a couple plays ago on there, came on a third and 13, where DC was going to rush six. And if you listen to AJ McCarron and our chalk talk that we put up Saturday morning before the game, he very clearly said, when you beat this cover zero, when you beat this DC blitz, Greg Williams will back out of it. And that's exactly what happened. And we'll highlight that a little bit later. But they did. They brought that cover zero blitz on the first third and 13. Perez found Canella, and he was gone. Touchdown Arlington right away. In the run game, Davion Smith ran hard. Letty Brown scored a bunch of touchdowns. The running backs played phenomenal. Smith was just running right through tackles all night. And Karan Reed, the starting nose tackle for D.C., was out with an Achilles injury right away. That didn't help. But Arlington, with these long, sustained drives, and and Zook talked in our preview about the balance. These were 15, 16-play drives, eating up all kinds of clock. And it was just a balanced attack. And you think about the second. I mean, Arlington completely owned the first quarter of this game. You think about their second touchdown drive? D.C. dropped seven in coverage. So how different was that? The first touchdown play, they rushed six. The second one, they dropped seven into coverage and a spy with Francis Bernard. Perez runs up to the line of scrimmage, gets Bernard to cheat up, dumps it right over his head to Tyler Vons for the touchdown. So like I said, Arlington from the bat owned the first quarter. The D.C. defenders ran three plays in the first quarter. Arlington ran 24. AJ talked about that dummy cadence, about how Perez would need to run it because DC knows how to time them up. They're very smart. And they did. They got Gabe Wright offsides in the first quarter and a couple other guys almost jumped. When Michael Joseph did come in for one play, I thought he was out. I was shocked to see him out there. Perez, sharp as attack, knew right away. This guy doesn't belong on the field. He's hurt. He checks out of the play, brings a guy in motion. They run a crossing route. Winningham beats Mike Joe. He limps off the field. Clearly not ready to play, but DC was just so thin in the secondary that he had to come in, and they had to try something on the third and four. Arlington converts another third down. I think that was three for three that made it at that point. Perez knew everything. Even the corner blitz. If you were watching the broadcast, you saw him pick up the corner blitz and read it. It was six for six on third downs before DC finally forced a field goal. And Taylor Rossellino, as far as field goal, he's a little shaky on kickoffs, but as far as field goals, was so solid. And another thing AJ mentioned is all that infighting that the DC defense can do sometimes when things don't go their way. They're a passionate group and they're going to hold guys accountable. Well, from what Cole Kublik told us on the sidelines, that was going on quite often. Guys yelling at each other and things were falling apart. Perez told us on media day that he wants to be a better runner. When asked about a potential weakness in his game, he said, I, I don't have the athleticism other guys have to, to take off. And I'm working on that. Well, on a third and eight, he took off right up the middle on a QB draw and got a first down. Look, legs look pretty good there to me. And Arlington closed the game. Luis Perez was the MVP. That was the Arlington offense against the D.C. defense and some of the things that I take away 
flipping sides of the ball, defenders offense, Arlington Renegades defense. This to me, I figured Arlington could score. And I know my prediction was only 15 points from them. But I figured they could score potentially the way they did in week nine when they put up 26 points. And to me, I was like, even if DC's defense does surrender a million passing yards, which they have been the last couple of weeks, they're going to be okay because the offense is going to put up 30 plus. So Arlington's going to have to score on pretty much every possession, which crazy enough, they were. I think they had points on five of their first six possessions. Um, like we said, they didn't punt until like a minute left in the third quarter. So I thought even if Arlington's offense was efficient and scoring, I thought DC would be able to score 30-plus and outscore them. It was not the case. Will Clark set the tone early on play one. We talked about the first play of the game for Arlington, how that set the tone for them offensively. Well, defensively for Arlington, Will Clark stuffs Tamu on an RPO on play one. Three and out, right away, off the field. Offense seemed out of sync. DC had a matchup advantage that they did not take advantage of. Arlington, the corner, opposite Devontae Bosby. And you know what? I don't even know if it was a mismatch as much as I thought it was. I have to give credit to those guys for Arlington, for stepping up for the injured Shakur Brown, for the injured Josh Hawkins. And filling in well at corner, Lucky Jackson, just three targets. Talking about a top all-XFL receiver. Three targets. Only two catches. Abram Smith, bottled up in the first half. I thought the safeties, Will Hill and Joe Powell, were just phenomenal for Arlington all night. They played their tail off. They combined for that on the first interception that Jordan threw. It was batted by Will Hill. It was caught by Joe Powell. Man, DC scored right before the half. They had the opportunity to kind of go two for one. But Matt McCrane kicked it out of bounds and just handed Arlington three points. They had a couple of plays. Russelino kicked a 53-yard field goal, and it made it 20-6 to at half, and that was a killer, the first of many where D.C. beat themselves um, on certain things you could point out. And when I say beat themselves, no, Arlington won this game outright, but just highlighting some of the things that D.C. did to shoot themselves in the foot, I guess is a better way to put it. Um, D.C. got it on their, I think, the plus 45-yard line on that only touchdown drive of the half. I think that's something that a lot of people are overlooking. On that, I think it was like a seven-play drive, Russellino actually kicked it out of bounds. So DC, their only touchdown drive up to that point at halftime was a 45-yard drive. It was not a very long drive. The defenders were one of four on two-point conversions. Not defenders football. Not the defenders I know. They had a couple windows to win this thing in the second half. To me, really two big windows that opened where I had some hope. The first one more than the second. First one, fourth and one. We know Reggie Barlow is trying the hard count to get him off sides. They're going to run a play. Jordan checks to 47, which we know is run left. 
right up the middle, Abram Smith, 52 yards, goodbye. And that was the play right there where I said, okay, DC relying on these big plays all year. There's the first one. Now let's get some more. The problem with that was not only didn't they convert the two-point conversion, which is upsetting, but Arlington went down the field 12 plays, 71 yards, and scored again. And they converted three more third downs when doing so. I think at that point they were seven for seven on third down. It, it is insane what could have been going through Greg Williams' head at that point. <sighs> Talk about the second window. That was at the beginning of the third quarter. Then later on in the third quarter, another miracle window opened up for DC. They finally get off the field on third down and force a punt with a minute 19 left in the third quarter. They went through 44 minutes of football without forcing a punt. Do you understand how much the Arlington Renegades have punted this year? Second in the league behind San Antonio. Not on Saturday night. Didn't punt till the very end of the third. But I thought, okay, we have some life. Arlington going to punt. Now DC gets the ball back. Second play. The Arlington safeties had their one miscue of the night. They let Josh Hammond behind them. He takes it 72 yards to the house. It's 26-20. Two big plays for DC offensively. And I'm thinking, okay, defense now stepping up a bit. They have some momentum. They got off the field. But as Zook has said all year, all year long, about DC and just the, the relying on the big plays and just kind of the inability to keep their emotions in check, right? On the two-point conversion, they get a penalty. So now they get it at the one because Arlington had a DPI, right? They get it at the one-yard line. Abram Smith punches it in. And funny enough, he actually helps the guy up that, that tackled him. But then, you know, he gets a little shove, a little another shove, and he pegs TJ Barnes with the ball. And every flag that every ref in the Alamo Dome had was thrown. I think I counted about eight flags. Some of them might have been lemons. Can't do it. 15-yard penalty, which, by the way, let me touch on this quickly. This is one thing I was not happy about. And if you have an answer to it, I'd be happy to hear it. 15-yard penalty on Abram Smith for unsportsmanlike conduct. And I was at the game, but when I went back and watched the broadcast, nobody really in the press box was had a clue what happened. But going back and watching the broadcast, Blandino says, you know, 15 yards on Smith for throwing the ball, enforced on the kickoff. So backed up to the 15-yard line to kick, DC has to make a decision whether to go with Matt McCrane, their normal kickoff guy, or Dan Whelan with the bigger leg. They go with Whelan. McCrane, not happy, kind of distraught on the sideline, but I don't know why, because he kicked one out of bounds that really hurt. 
earlier in the game. So they give Whelan a chance. Obviously, kicking from your own 15, going to be super hard to hit the 20. He almost got there, landed on like the 21. Flag, because in this league, you got to hit the 20. Illegal kick. So there's another 15-yard penalty. So follow me here. The ball was kicked from the 15-yard line because of Abram Smith's unsportsmanlike conduct. The kick did not hit the 20. So the official said the ball will start on the plus 45. It did not. It started on the plus 30, and Arlington scored on the first play. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying those 15 yards would have changed anything or, or been the reason DC won, but you never know. Remember, this was a defense that had some momentum. They finally got off the field on third down. Someone give me an answer. Why was the ball on the plus 30? There were two penalties. There was an illegal kick and an unsportsmanlike conduct. There were 30 yards that were assessed against DC. Why'd the ball start on the 30-yard line, and why were there 45 yards worth of penalties assessed when I could only count 30? Coach Barlow didn't really ask any questions from the broadcast from what I saw. He was just upset with Abram Smith and upset with his guys for the miscues. Maybe I'm missing something, but the ball started on the 30-yard line. Letty Brown, another touchdown. And to me, it was really a wrap. Maybe the, the, the slight window they had in the fourth quarter with Chris Blair dropping a beautiful ball from Jordan was really the, the nail in the coffin. But I, those two windows to me is what it came down to for DC. You had the big plays. You had a chance to capitalize on the first one. Your defense was just on the field all night. You did not have any guys who had any energy at that point to go out there and play. On the second one, they finally got some momentum behind them, and you get 45 yards of penalties assessed against you, and the game was out of reach. Jordan Tamu threw three picks. He had thrown three interceptions the entire regular season. Zook, we'll bring you in here. We talked about um, a lot of things in our preview episode. We talked about the balance from Arlington. We talked about DC's defense sometimes being aggressive. Um, when you're watching it, and I want to focus specifically on those two windows that I brought up where I felt hope that DC could be the ones that comes back from down 17, much like Arlington did to force overtime in week nine. When you saw that happen, 52-yard touchdown run, and then a couple drives go by, bang, they get a 72-yarder. What went through your head? Were you thinking, okay, it's about to swing? This Arlington stuff was a first-half kind of mirage? Or did you think, no, no matter what happened on the big plays, they cannot stop Perez? So a couple things. Yeah, I I was doubting that DC could stop Perez. Um, but when I talked in the pregame, balance, time of possession, we're looking at 39 minutes of time of possession for Arlington versus, was that 20? Yeah, be, yeah 21. Yeah, it's... Even, and, even less. We're Actually, not going, it'll be a little more. Yeah. We're not going with the seconds here. Yeah. But here's the thing. Those two big plays that you are saying are potentially game changers and turners, you're not wrong. 
However, because they scored so quickly, this is what I was talking about before. Defense, right back on the field. They're already tired. They need a break. Those big plays are huge and great for D.C., but it's not good for D.C.'s defense. So, they're swingers. I mean, you didn't talk about the uh, drop ball by what, Lucky? Well, Chris Blair had one. I briefly mentioned it. I think that, to me, that was, I think it was settled by then. I mean, sure, maybe you have a spark because you're able to do the 4th and 15, which D.C. end up running, and they, they picked it off. I didn't Maybe. have I didn't have an easy feeling in my stomach as things were transpired, especially once they got within six at twenty six twenty. I'm thinking, oh, here we go before the penalties, right? Right. Yeah. I'm thinking, here we go, and then, I mean, we're sitting in the press box talking about it, and I was like, mm. you know what I said to you, Abram Smith just lost them the game, and he's won them so many games this year, right? And I, I'm not dogging him. Uh, who knows what I would do in that situation? Cannot do that. Some, something happened that made him do that. I get that. But you got to be more composed. Yeah. Watch him back. He, it, it sucks because he's been a level-headed dude, and he's actually kept a ton of guys level-headed on the sideline. He's been a leader. Right. And he helped the tackler up that got him, which is something we didn't see because it was a, a script. Right. So when you watch the broadcast, you see a lot more. He actually reaches down and helps Colin Schooler up. And after yeah. I saw that, I'm like, wait, how did he get on Sportsmanlike? Well, there's a lot of jawing from his teammates that was going on when he was helping the guy up. Sure. They poked the bear. TJ Barnes hit him with a little jab, jab. It's not going to be seen. It's always the second guy. Yeah. Even in the NFL, college, I don't care if it's peewee football. And I feel like you got to know better. And it's tough. I'm not, I'm not putting a game on him. But in that moment, I was like, uh, any chance they had at coming back at that point. Yeah. Like you said. And they finally got it. It was crazy, the roller coaster, because they finally got a two-point conversion. Right. They were one of four. That was the only one they got, which is crazy. How efficient has DC been on the point afters? If you count up all the point, I mean, you talk about the number one scoring offense. You, you add up all the point afters, and I guess Arlington didn't do great in that area either not too but you got to have some of those i mean this was only a nine point game right not so. too many teams did have a ton of success with that anyways if anybody dc was probably the most successful so. i mean and you touched on it the biggest stat to me is going into maybe what mid third quarter arlington was like something stupid like 83 to 85 oh, yeah. percent on third down yeah at one Unheard. point they were 90 percent. yeah they were six for seven i think they end the game 73%, and they don't punt the ball right. until a minute in the third quarter. <sighs> yeah, I, I mean... And, and no turnovers. They, they limited the possessions of D.C. in the first half, and it, it put them, their backs up against the wall, and we saw what happened. Yeah. And it's tough. They did fight. They fought hard. Right. But I think um, something that we, me and you talked about when we were looking at their pregame presser, we're sitting there listening to the questions, and Arlington was 100% business. Everything out of their mouth was, I'm focused on right now, every play, that's it. DC was a little more relaxed and, you know, probably talking a little more trash, right? Um, but you could see, and what I'm getting at with that is, is you could just see that, that laser focus from Arlington and 
they were prepared even for the press conference. Right. Right. And that's credit to the Arlington coaching staff. Um, yeah, big game, Bob. Hey, you just ready for big games. Jonathan Hayes, after we sat here in, in week four or five, asking you, the viewer, the question, why hasn't Jonathan Hayes been let go yet? Because San Antonio demoted their OC. Vegas fired theirs, and the Arlington offense was worse significantly, statistically, than both of those teams. And I just knew Bob Stoops wasn't going to let his guys go. He's been through everything, not just XFL, way back to early days with Jonathan Hayes, with Jay Hayes, with Chuck Long. And the offensive line for Arlington, what a game. I mean, you're constantly picking up blitzes. I think DC only got home once. You're constantly picking up. And it was actually the play that I talked about where they finally got off the field on third down. And offensive line, I mean, you got to shout those guys out. And a lot of them, something that I saw today, won a championship in Birmingham with the other league. I think three of their offensive linemen and their O-line coach all came over from the Stallions who were champs over there in Birmingham. So two in a row, back-to-back for those guys. And Arlington, I got to give them, like I said, all the credit. Luis Perez is going to get most of it, but it goes deeper than that. It goes to a guy like Letty Brown, who found himself lost in the shuffle because coming into the year, Arlington had Davion Smith, who we knew was going to be the feature back. But think about... Who Arlington had, they had drafted or traded for Adrian Killens, who they thought was going to be a star. Kenneth Farrow was a guy they brought in who got hurt. I mean, a couple of guys, I think even like Demontre Tuggle, week one or two was out of there. And, and you think about the other quarterbacks that they had, Drew Plitt and, and Kyle Sloter, a lot of guys that, that weren't on the roster for this championship game. But think about the guys who were. The Tyler Vaughns, Brandon Arcanado, Sal Canella. What a story. Yeah. And, and I didn't want to mention it too early, but I do want to give Zook congratulations. He said on the preview episode, Sal Canella, first touchdown, plus 1,200. And that sucker hit. And it was Canella's first touchdown of the year. What a moment. Arguably the biggest play of the game that set the tone. Sure. Because DC did what they do so well, brought the blitz on third down, and you're asking Arlington to do what they have not done well, which is third and long. When they delivered that, complete 180 for everything that the sports books, everything that the experts, everything that we all probably expected to happen, which was a lot of sacks for DC and a lot of third down pressure, and they beat it on that one. Yeah, well, they beat it a lot. They got the ball out quick. Sure did. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, though, was I asked you just before the game. Bob Stoops, two weeks to prepare. All his experience. Big game Bob, right? Big game Bob. Um, I asked you, did you think that that would translate? Yeah. You said no. And your reasoning was not incorrect. Yeah. But man, looking back at it now, yes, it was a factor, right? 
Yeah, and I think it, it's it's Bob Stoops who trusts in a quarterback. And Luis Perez with, I'm sure, several sleepless nights replaying in his head. Week two against D.C., I got embarrassed. Week four, I had a touchdown before the half. It was a clear touchdown. I'll say that as a D.C. fan. Blandino took it away. He saw his head coach absolutely lose his mind. Then you see Luis Perez go in in week nine and battle through hell and back to try to lead Arlington to an overtime victory, and he comes up just short. You think that stuff didn't replay in his head in these two weeks? He wasn't losing again. Right. And when I answered your question, Zook, I figured that this staff had been so good all year that it would balance out from preparation. I really didn't disagree with your answer. Yeah. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. I'm just thinking now, like, it's definitely a factor. Yeah. Uh, and the other factor is, uh, I coined a new phrase right before the show, the Arlington Renetrades. Yeah, I heard that before the show. And that's clearly a difference. Don't get me going on this, though. I'm sorry, but I, uh, I wanted to throw it out there because it's a factor. Yeah, it, I will say, if the XFL championship ended up being decided by a trade that was made for a player that ended up back on Arlington's roster and was in D.C.'s head last night, that being Ryan Mueller. Yes, Ryan Mueller, who is traded from Arlington to Vegas and never plays a snap for the Vegas Vipers, ends up back on Arlington and playing in last night's XFL championship game. You're telling me that was the difference? If you want to go the Perez was the reason Arlington won it route, that's not right. Something was weird there that Vegas didn't get, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting any foul play. We know the story. The story is that Vegas shut down Perez. They said, we're going to go McClendon the rest of the year. We're out of the playoff race. We want to get the young guy some action. Perez was not with that decision. He wants to play. He wants to get back in the NFL. He ends up with the Renegades, who so sorely needed a quarterback because Slaughter didn't work. Plitt didn't work. Uh... You know, I guess they never wanted to go Kevin Anderson. They thought he wasn't ready. They brought Kelly Bryan in. I mean, there was like four or five quarterbacks that took snaps before Perez even showed up. Um, and let me correct you. That might be your jet lag talking, but it wasn't last night. It was two nights ago. <laughs> again, a miracle that I'm in this chair tonight. Um, I was, I will say, after the game, I was overwhelmed by a sense of gratitude um, to get to do this. And we, we sit in the press conference. We got to see just the look on the faces of some of the Arlington Renegades during the post-game uh, trophy presentation. I took a video of Will Hill and Joe Powell. And just to think about that duo at safety and what they've been through. Will Hill, you remember him from the Florida Gators, was a former second-round NFL draft pick, one of the leaders of this Arlington team. In his 30s, I mean, you talk about some of the up-and-coming guys in this league, and then you talk about a Will Hill, who the NFL gave up on. And Will Hill might not be hell-bent on getting back to the league. Maybe he does want to play. He just wants to win football games and lead young men. 
and play his ass off, which he did. And Joe Powell. You know where Joe Powell went to school, Zook? Globe Tech. Globe Tech picks off his former teammate, Jordan Tamu, in the biggest stage of the year. Jordan, who had only thrown three picks all season. And we took a video during the trophy presentation of those two guys embracing. And I, I was. I, I forgot for a second about my team losing. And I remembered what was important. And that was 51 guys on the active roster who just won an XFL championship. A large percentage of those guys, minus Luis Perez, minus some other guys who came in late, who were there through the struggle. When Arlington lost a football game in week six, in which San Antonio did not score an offensive touchdown. Can you imagine the morale when you got to go to practice on Monday morning knowing you just got beat by a team who didn't score offensively? That may have been the fire combined with Luis Perez coming into the locker room and just seeming like fitting like a glove into this culture, into this scheme. That combined with the adversity. And maybe more to answer your question about Bob Stoops having two weeks to prepare. I always worry about DC potentially not facing enough adversity. And I told myself the Orlando game was enough for them, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe they did get too used to winning. And maybe they thought this was going to be over before it started. Um. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that. Do you need to face adversity? Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think they were thinking it was over before they started. I just think that they haven't been in the position where they were down. I yeah, mean, that's another thing we mentioned. They they were time. only down ten at the most this whole season. I thought it was nine. Was it not? Yeah, nine to Seattle. Yeah, week one, they had not trailed. And I remember you and I sitting in the press box and me saying, this feels wrong. Yeah. And it felt wrong because they hadn't trailed. Right. They're and, not built to come back. And what did I say to you? I said, we're going to see how they um, react yeah. to adversity. And they did. They had a puncher's chance in the second half. Um, I'm sure a lot of you thought when Abram Smith rattled off that 52-yard run, which first of all, we were very critical, Zook himself as a Seattle fan, about how the Dragons handled a fourth-and-one situation in the North title game. When Barlow came out, clearly, I mean, my eight-year-old nephew would have known they were trying to get a hard count, and they jump off, right? And then even Jim Hazen himself is like, how could we be so stupid? Well, how about giving up a 52-yard touchdown on a fourth-and-one? That's arguably worse. I mean, I don't know how they did that, but it just felt like, okay, if you can run straight down the main street of San Antonio on this team on a fourth and one, you're not losing this game. And I was wrong. I was dead wrong. I had myself convinced in that moment the comeback was imminent. Even when it was 15, 14, nothing. Zook, we talked about, a lot of people probably think this is over right now. And and both you and I watching every XFL game this year said, no, not yet. Right, they still have some time. Yeah, so in all, congratulations 
to the Arlington Renegades. Congratulations to Bob Stoops, Jonathan Hayes, Chuck Long, Coach Heimbach, Tim Lewis, and Jay Hayes, the, the co-defensive coordinators, and all the 51 players who got their bonus for winning the game and got a trophy presented by Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Danny Garcia. Um, and I want to say as well, Zook, before we move on here, congratulations to the D.C. defenders as well. What you did was bring fire back to a DMV sports culture who was lacking it. And those crowds in Audie Field, 18,000 plus, packed to the rafters with the beer snake, loud as hell, passionate as hell, could not have happened without the coaching staff and the players and director of player personnel, Von Hutchins, who I retweeted a, a tribute from him. Who he thanked all the same people we are. Reggie Barlow, tip my cap to him. Hell of a job. Hell of a job by Hutchins assembling this roster. Fred Kice and Greg Williams, two grizzled coaching veterans who have been through it all. Getting this team to a 10-1 and record where their lone loss up to Saturday night was by one point. And putting on a show without the D.C. defenders, the XFL does not have as much interest as it did because of the way that they played and the way that they got people behind them. People like winning teams and people like winning cultures and great athletes. And that's what DC did for the XFL or else Dwayne Johnson wouldn't have been rocking that DC defender shirt when he was working out before the game. Notice he quickly switched up and had the Arlington hat on and, 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 and the, I get it right. I love it from the rock. Um, but yeah, I, I do. I want to congratulate DC and everybody who was involved with the operations. The people that don't get enough credit, like a Stacey Johnson, director of player operations. She did a great job this year. Offensive line coach, Russ Ehrenfeld, Jamie Sharper, Vernon Dean. The quarterback's coach there. I mean, just, just a phenomenal job. And uh, it, was, it was not the result we wanted. And it stings. It's shocking the way they lost. But I think they'll be better from it. I do. I think Jordan Tamu will be better from it. And who knows where he ends up. Uh, he told us that he would like to be back in the NFL, obviously. So wish him the best. But it'll be interesting to see which these guys get NFL opportunities. I think Abram Smith will. I think a lot of guys on defense will as well. So that was the XFL championship game. Zook, any final thoughts? It was a blast. Kind of piggyback what you said earlier. I had a great time covering this league this year. It was awesome to be at both playoff games. And it was kind of a league of opportunity for us as well. For everybody, yeah. So, I right, kick it to you because I, I didn't want to sign off. This is tough. Um, I can't so, wait for 2024. Right. This is the season of finale. Uh, there would not even have been a pilot if not for you. Uh, Thank you as the viewer, as the listener, for joining us twice a week, for sharing our content, for being our network. There are a lot of people who are supported by things other than just their viewership. We are not one of those. Thank you to the pe people at the Believe Network who believed in us and backed us and 
we wouldn't have got there without you for listening, for watching, for dealing with Silk going back and forth with me about Seattle and D.C., for dealing with everything this season that we put you through. Thank you for watching. And for one final time, always remember, there is no such thing as football season. For Chris Silk in the control room, I am Maddie Fresh. Quick note on plans going forward. Not committed to anything, but we do plan to have some off-season content, and we would love. Yeah, see, I say off-season. Not really off-season, right? There is no such thing as a season. We will have some interviews, hopefully with some of these guys that land in the NFL. So thank you again. I am Matty Fresh. We'll see you when we see you. Adios.